0: Choice, On stage, Charles, to chill, Charles. On stage, Charles, take a chill, Charles. On stage, chill,
1: We welcome Kachina Rude to the stage of the Phoenix Theater. Kachina Rude is a San Francisco-based drag performer who grew up punk in the North Bay. Tonight we'll talk with Kachina about her history, her outlook, and later she'll be showcasing a routine. Please welcome to the program, Kachina Rude. Hey. Welcome. We're going to watch a performance later on yeah. by Kachina Rude. Yeah. What were your thoughts on that? Because we recorded it before <laughs> yeah. this yeah. interview here tonight.
2: Um, there, it seems like it's, uh, there's three movements to it uh the second movement is moving i it made me feel sad and lonely uh it was it it moved me that much as i'm watching this and and uh is that the way i'm supposed to feel when i'm
0: yeah so and first of all, thanks and yeah. second of all um yeah, so I find that a lot of what I'm working on manifests itself depending on the theme of i just end up kind of. Going toward the, the direction of loneliness, of alienation, of um, you know, and you know, independence. Um, I don't know. Those are just kind of themes that continue to pop up in my work, and that, and perhaps it's because um, there were a lot of challenges that I had to overcome by myself to lead me to where I am here. So, while you're handling this by yourself, you've got
2: family and friends all part of your life at the same time, correct? Yeah. And yeah. would they have said? you didn't have to be by yourself
0: you know and it's it's interesting because basically what this is and i think it's just that um being gay in a punk scene and is just kind of tends to be an isolating experience for a teenager um a lot of my tribe i would say i didn't find until after i had moved away um and so you know while i had the support of a community while i felt like um You know, I forced myself into something that I was passionate about uh, with other people who were passionate about it. Um, You know, no one around me ever—I didn't ever really feel like um, I was going through this with someone else. Got
1: it. Yeah. So that resonates really heavily with me. Um, My first introduction to like your personal life came from a post that you wrote at your three-year anniversary of living in San Francisco. And it felt like that that was just June, okay? So like you and I have been kind of in the same musical scene for years, but we never really crossed paths. And you did this really long entry, updating all your friends about what life had looked like since you moved to San Francisco. You, you kind of went into great detail about like, at an early age you had come out and you wanted something different from a gay community that you felt isolated from. While not being critical of the community, you just didn't see a lot of like you fitting into that community. Um, and we do live in a liberal area here it 's not like you i, I don 't know how to put it i mean i I would classify myself as a queer person, and I think people outside of that experience sometimes don 't understand like the significance and inspiration that can come from a post like yours now before you say something, I just want to add sometimes you hear when like a notable figure comes out uh sometimes there will be criticism of that as to like who cares. Just keep it to yourself. This is not important. This is not newsworthy. I don't want to read about it. But I would say from my vantage point, having had this experience several times, and I had a touch of it when reading your post, there's just something very special about reading somebody else who's, strain, who's even a stranger or who's ascended to some like heights of success and being like, wow, that person is sharing the experience of my, uh, with me. That makes me feel more comfortable in my own skin. That shows me that it doesn't all have to look one way.
0: Yeah, I mean, the and just like you said, the irony of this is that uh the Bay Area is among the most progressive areas of the in the country, especially when it comes to LGBT uh rights and uh um uh what's the word, like environment is, you know, tends to be um supportive uh generally compared to most other areas of the world, you know. Um, but, what I recognized at a pretty early age, like my dad r- raised me listening to punk music um and I kind of had like a a view of the world that was more inclined toward anarchism, I suppose at a kind of a young age and i saw what I saw of the gay community when I was coming out um was that of um you know, superficiality, uh, commercialism, uh, a lot of things that I saw were represented in the gay culture were not representative of me. And I felt pressure to, um, to succumb to that if I wanted to find community. And basically just what I did is I said, I opted out of that. Um, you know, and so I came back and forth a lot, um, when I was younger, um, when I was in high school, uh, when I came out, I lost quite a few friends and, Uh, some of the folks who didn't give a shit and wanted to still hang out with me were the punks at my school. Um, And so that's kind of what fell into what is now my life. Um, And I've always kind of been critical of what I've thought to be, what I've perceived to be commercialism in uh, gay identity, you know, like just being queer, you know, if you can name it, you can sell to it. And I just have never... Thought that that was appropriate for me,
1: and you were going to say something, yeah.
2: And and uh, so it happened uh, in the in the same conversation as you were setting us up for this thing. We were talking about it earlier. You said you weren't sure if Kuchina would be classifying as gay or queer, and and so my question here is what what is the difference? Is there is there a difference, and how what is what
0: is it? Well, before going forward, I would have to acknowledge that queer. It was a politicized term that was uh, reappropriated by, um, uh, you know, wow. organizations such as Queer Nation Act Up yeah. in the early 90s during the height of the AIDS crisis. Um, so queer was a slur, right? Uh, when I was time. a kid, absolutely, yeah. Totally. And yeah. so part of what this, um, you know, new, this gay movement that happened later on uh, was all about is that it, uh, folks taking the word queer back, And uh, instead of using, taking it as a slur, using it as a powerful tool, right. In order to affirm them, their themselves and their identity and the broader culture to, you know, put stake in it for lack of a better term. Um, So, you know, I've always thought queer to almost be kind of a choice because you, you know, I, I identify as gay. I'm a cisgender man in my normal life who does drag. Um, And I've, you know, I'm, pretty much all the way on the Kinsey. I'm not very bisexual or anything like that. But uh, for what it's worth, I am queer because um, I choose to not be fit into a category of what um, gay, especially gay male culture has been advertised to me as you know while growing up
1: i would also add about the the queer question i think yeah. that word has a uh, hundred different meanings for a hundred different oh, yeah, people. absolutely and that that is the source of some frustration i think for some people but it, it is what it is you know it's a nebulous term
0: and that's kind of the point of it it's supposed to be difficult <laughs> yeah it's suppo- like what does queer mean to you well fuck you it means this to me that's the that's the that's, <laughs> that's the difference <laughs> between queer and gay or lgbt you know uh for me at least
1: you and I took two very different paths you you like leaned into it heavily early on, and I definitely st- like kind of stood back and only as I've gotten older have I been more comfortable talking about it, acting on it, et cetera.
0: When I was younger too, when I was in high school, especially um there are a few other gay male kids um it bears noting that I'm talking about mostly gay men, which is an unfortunate like aspect of the culture we live in is people uh associate the word gay with men. Uh, and not gay men, gay men, women, gay anybody. Um, but for what it's worth, you know, just like for comparison, um, as far as I was concerned, you know, the other kids in my high school who were gay were wearing, you know, Abercrombie and Fitch clothes. And I was wearing a uh, um, a white T-shirt that I had written Abercrombie and Fitch and Sharpie with and drew like a moose on it. Just make fun of them, you know, um, in hindsight, perhaps that wasn't like very tasteful of me just because people can wear whatever they want. Uh, but that was kind of my angle. I was always kind of like, um, you know, very much like I am going to be who I am and I'm not going to, um, you know, fall into this, this thing that, um, commercials are telling me that Ellen DeGeneres is telling me that, you know, all these, these, um, modes of culture are informing earlier we were talking about drag and
1: you posted something once about what you love about drag and um one of the things you said is that you love how it is able to satirize and magnify at
0: the same time the world as we know it it is an exaggeration just like you're saying an exaggeration of what gender can be um what uh the world is like um And it's kind of like, instead of, you know, you have people gawking at a spectacle, especially in queer culture, um, you know, a lot of us have been, you know, used to being pointed at or, you know, laughed at or chased down the block for being a faggot, like things like that, you know? And so a lot of times the way I see drag is it's a subversion of this because when somebody is in drag, the entire energy of the room is elevated. You know, and for you know, for a change, the person who may have been picked on ruthlessly, in you know in their younger years or you know, gay bashed or whatever, um, turns around and is the powerful figure. You know, and uh, I read I forget which author this was, but I read in a book um, that drag is kind of like um, the spectacle looking back at you. So, it's one thing to have a spectacle, you're consuming um, a performance, you're consuming an item, but what drag is doing is it's subverting that. And it's looking back at you and asking you if you really know what is true and what is real and why gender conventions. You know, this is drag is a play on gender, obviously. And um, gender is a performance regardless of if you're in drag or not. Life is drag, you know. Um, and. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's just really just kind of highlighting that and throwing the mirror on, on yourself. It's, you know, uh, drag makes people uncomfortable. It makes people laugh. It makes people cry. It makes people uh, want to throw up and throw a brick or whatever, you know. It's just like, <laughs> you know, drag queens and kings are like these kind of magical creatures. Um, and they've always been there. And I think it's important to continue a tradition of subversion in this way. And that's what I think is punk about it, which kind of like also relates to, uh, my approach on drag and the, t- what's interesting to me about it and why I do it is because it's subversive.
1: One thing you mentioned earlier about, um, drag and amplification and the spectacle turning, um, reminded me a lot of a documentary I watched about, um, pride in the 60s and how you know pride everybody goes to pride now and pride's a lot different now to attend a parade than it was in the 60s and 70s and there was interviews with people who were active in that scene back in the day and there was a lot of criticism of them and you were growing up then so you may want to uh, chime in but uh was a lot of criticism of them it was like Why do you have to be so in everybody's face? Why do you have to be so loud? Why do you have to be so obnoxious? You're doing the cause harm and you're making people uncomfortable. Why are you going to do it? And the pushback was if we did it your way, we would never have come out of the closet at all. Um, There's something about visibility. There's something about we're here. We're loud. And, you know, you you can pretend we're not here all you want, but we are here. And this is our representation of that.
0: And so, I mean, obviously, so, you know, it goes without saying that the first Pride parade was not a parade, but it was a riot, right? Yeah. And so, you know, this is a, this for the sake of survival, right? Um, people take to the streets originally not because they just felt like having prayed, but because they knew that if they did not come out in numbers and make their themselves visible in a way that was significant and disruptive, then they would be trampled, yeah. you know? And, um yeah, I mean, and that's just the history of pride parades. I don't care much for pride parades nowadays, but, I mean, I don't know. But I mean,
1: you've studied some queer history, so, I mean, it, the mm-hmm. idea of... I mean, that's 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 important information.
0: Well, Visibility is important. Absolutely. Yeah. And so, yeah, I mean, on that note, you know, it's like, um, far be it from me. I mean, this is generations before me, but... Um, you know, this is different. You're talking about uh, homophiles versus liberationists, right? We had people who in the, you know, hom- homophile organizations is what they call in like the 50s and 60s. Uh, um, you know, a lot of it started with like the Mattachine Society and a lot of um, uh, 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 lesbian um, uh Like underground magazines, a lot of this culture uh, began, but a lot of it was focused on how can we assimilate into this greater culture and demonstrate that we are just like the rest of everyone else, right? Um, Oh, we can live uh, a docile human lives where we go to the grocery store and we are have domestic partnerships and we um, love the military, you know, things like that. Uh, Just give us our rights because we want to fit in. And basically the other end of that spectrum would be, you know, that of liberation where it says, no, fuck this. That sucks. Why should I have to choose one partner? Why should I have to buy a house? Why should I have to go and fight war? You know, and that's, that's, those are, that's kind of like the key difference. And that's what, you know, when we had these, uh, these riots happening, you know, is because um, people were angry. People were really angry, and uh, you know, it all started with Compton's Cafeteria in San Francisco. And a lot of it is like, you know, um, not gay men, but like trans women who are sex workers.
1: What and what is Compton's?
0: Compton's Cafeteria uh, riots was I think in nineteen sixty nine. It was a few years before um, Stonewall, like sixty eight, sixty nine, if I remember correctly. Um, And basically, um, you know, late at night, um, the story goes, um, it was a Compton's cafeteria in the Tenderloin was a popular site for um uh what we would term now as trans sex workers um then drag queens you know transvestites you know terms change over the generations that's another thing that i think is interesting about current gay culture too is that there's a lot of word policing but there, a lot of words didn't exist when a lot of these things were happening and so it's not always so easy as to just call one thing one thing all the time but anyway so uh, these are a lot of people, a lot of women who were, we were called now transgender, who were doing sex work regularly. They'd come, you know, convene at three in the morning, four in the morning at Compton's cafeteria and, you know, Kiki, you know, they would enjoy a meal together. Um, and so they would regularly be harassed by cops, right? And so there was one event where they, these cops came into Compton's cafeteria and um, they, these girls were not having it anymore. So they were throwing bricks. They were throwing... Uh, heels. They were fucking, they chased these cops out and it was successful. Cool. They got, they chased all these cops out of mm-hmm. Copness cafeteria and this predates Stonewall by a few mm-hmm. years. Um, with all that said, yeah. So, I mean, and trans sex workers are not homophiles. They were, they were not traditionally, you know, I, I might argue uh, 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 people who were interested in assimilating, you know, the way that the world looks for people who are, um, uh, you know, intersectionally, um, moving up the river on many points, being a person of color, being transgender, being queer, you know, like all these things, people don't have options. People, it's like, well, it's not so easy for me to just buy a house in the suburbs. It's not so easy for me to just enlist in the military. It's not so easy for me to do those things. Um, and so, yeah, so that's like an important crash course one-on-one of like what drives me.
1: And one of the reasons why we kind of went down this road was, um, In marginalized cultures, you see these wonderful communities develop. And so drag has a community. I know in San Francisco it's getting tougher and tougher. Um, Could you tell us a little bit about what you found there. I mean, I know you have, you've had like a drag mother who kind of like brings you into the world a little bit. Just, just anything you want to share about that world. Cause there a lot of people who listen to this have no concept of what the drag world looks like, what the community looks like and all that. So anything you want to share that you think would be accessible or interesting?
0: Sure. So I came into San Francisco, um, and ha- knowing a few people who were older punks who were queer, who, um, you know, luckily for me, helped me figure out where I, you know, quote unquote should be, you know. It's as San Francisco went. I had an opportunity a few years ago to move to the city. I've always wanted to do it. It's the San Francisco has always been my one goal in life. I never wanted to be an astronaut. I never wanted to be a firefighter. I wanted to live in San Francisco and be a faggot. And And you know why? I'm going to read a quote.
1: (laughs) Because it is a city that you always associated with social justice, activism, freedom of expression, and a queer population that consistently challenged the norm. Those are your words.
0: Oh, yeah. I was like, oh, that's really well worded. I didn't think I would have said that. But yeah. Yeah. And so exactly all those things. And so my first foray into San Francisco drag was the first weekend I lived in San Francisco happened to be pride weekend. Um, and a friend of mine who I'm now in a band with uh, brought me into the stud bar in San Francisco for a party called dark room. Uh, we walk in and I see a drag queen who is not wearing a wig, has a shaved head and tattoos on her head and shit. Um, uh, she was a uh, lip syncing, while sticking surgical needles through her face unflinchingly, she just stood there and pierced her face on stage, and I was floored. I was drunk, but my I was fucking floored. I I turned to him and I go, "What the fuck was that? Who the fuck was that? What the fuck is this?" Like you know, and he says, "Oh, that's Fatima. Do you want to meet her?" And then now, three and a half years later, it's my drag mom, and so uh, part of what. Um, my relationship with her has been like, is um, uh, she was one of the first people I ever saw perform drag that I really, really wanted to see. And um, she's a punk and there aren't really, you know, drag culture and punk culture, Flirt with each other, but they don't actually intersect in a way that's meaningful.
1: And that influenced the sort of drag that you did. Um, th- not the sort of performances that most people would assume when you hear that a person is a drag queen.
0: Part of the reason why I started doing drag is because there were things that I wanted to see that I wasn't seeing. And I realized that I I would have to do those things if I wanted to see them.
1: And of course, uh, things like stapling yourself. Yeah. Things like sort of... Uh, uh, provocative things. Tonight, you, uh, spoiler alert, waterboard yourself in the yeah. middle of the stage. Um, this is unorthodox. The St. RuPaul's Drag Race. No, this is not.
0: And so I also have, I must disclaim that I'm not the first person to do any of these things. Uh, so my, my drag mother was the first person I ever saw staple herself on stage. She uses an industrial gun just like I do. Um, my, I have a drag sister who has years of experience beyond me who also does stapling. Uh, she uses a surgical uh, staple, stapler primarily, uh, which is a kind of a different system. Uh, but yeah, you know, and that was something I adopted. Um, I guess the rude family trait or whatever is to self mutilate. You, you mentioned something that kind of surprised me. You
2: went out for the first
0: time in
2: drag not that long ago. Yeah. Is that correct? In less than a year ago?
0: Less than a year ago, yeah.
2: What took so long for you to go out in drag?
0: To be honest, these are ideas that I've had for a long time. And when the election happened, uh, November 8th of last year, um, I realized that it's do or die time. Like from now on, all of us are going to have to be our best. We're going to have to, if we're going to fucking survive this, if we're going to survive a presidency of somebody who is systematically taking like w- willing to see me and my kind dead, just so to speak, right. That we're going to have to fucking, bring all we have and so that was my inspiration for i'm like i'm not gonna wait anymore i'm just gonna fucking go out and drag for no reason all the time i'm going to um you know join a band i'm going to um you know volunteer more at this at a std clinic i'm gonna try you know and these are these are things that i think that if everybody moved in this direction that we would have some sort of uh fighting chance you know that was really like the, the hard line impetus for me. It's yeah. A Clarifying
1: moment. I mean, yeah. everything kind of snapped into focus the moment yeah. that that day happened. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. And I'm sure it did for a lot of people. Um, there's another thing that I wanted to mention is, um, again, going back to when I was coming out, um, and the, about having role models is that, um, they're in the punk scene in San or in, excuse me, Santa Rosa and Sonoma County um, there, you know, every, every generation experiences being the younger end of it, being the older end of it. Um, and when I was younger and I was going to shows here at the Phoenix or at Epiphanies in Santa Rosa yeah, yeah. or um, weird house venues, yeah. just like exist today. Um, I never really encountered uh, people who were openly or actively queer and um that was part of the challenge for me you know in, in existing the spaces that i loved and that i cherished and that i really wanted to live in but at the same time knowing fundamentally that i wasn't really surrounded by by like kind in this way and despite you know and i think that if i was effeminate or if i had come off in a way that was conventionally feminine or in drag I would have gotten the shit beat out of me but it because I wasn't and I was conventionally masculine I passed and that's something that to acknowledge definitely however what I think is really amazing about Sonoma County punk culture lately is that for example a few weeks ago there was um at the at Refuge there were so many fucking young queer kids who were representing so hard in that room and they were playing music and they're young and they're seeing the show and they're passionate and they're just having fun. You know, I continue a tradition of not, of choosing not to have role models. I don't believe in them. Um, but to, for young kids to have, you know, if, if somebody can see, you know, some, Buddy who's in makeup and heels waterboarding themselves at a church, yeah. then, ha- you know, if somebody is affected or moved by that, then yeah. that's all I could ever hope for. I can die happy. So you, know? you realize it. <laughs>
2: you understand that you are taking the role.
0: Uh, yeah. In, and being in a role lieu, model. you know, be your own role model. I guess yeah. that's a true anarchist cool. way, isn't it? Yeah. yeah.
1: Well, I mean, you know this as well as I do. There's just an intangible thing that you feel inside when you learn that someone else is having a similar experience that you thought was unfortunately unique to you. Yeah. And so whether or not you personally subscribe to role models, I think you would happily be a person who says, Hey, look, this has been my experience. And if it's been yours, that's cool. Uh, This is where my path has taken me. That simple act of just like telling your story is pretty profound when you're in a marginalized community where people don't feel comfortable in their own skin. So, yeah. I mean, you you don't have to have a role model, and you're not trying to be a role model. But I think that every time a person who does what you do sits down and says, this is my origin story, somebody out there might hear it and be like, wow, that's really fucking cool. That's how I feel. And maybe I'll, you know, do something a little different now because I'm more comfortable in my own skin. Yeah. Hope so. Yeah. yeah. You know. Um Sounds like those were your closing thoughts. Does Tom Gaffey have any closing thoughts? He nailed it for me.
2: That was good. Yeah, the thing is, like I say, uh, uh, weirdly, you you eschew uh, scene role models, but you are one, and I think that's way cool. Uh,
0: When I was, and this also is in the same vein, too, just about my origin story. The first gay person I ever met was a close friend of my mother's who passed away of AIDS related complications when I was like five or six? And he scared the shit out of me. Okay. He was really scared. Well, he was wasting, which I didn't realize okay. at the time. I was a kid. I didn't know what AIDS was. Right. Um, he um, was a smoker, he was a former injection drug user, um, he was a punk. You know, he was all these things that, um, and he fucking terrified me when I was a little kid. And, um, And he passed away when I was really young. And I remember this as being a pivotal moment because a few years later, I realized that, you know, as I entered puberty, I was like, I have that thing that this, that Graham had, that this person had that means that, you know, and I didn't know how, you know, fucking sex education for queer kids is yeah. bullshit. bullshit. And so I didn't know how people got AIDS. I just thought if you were gay, you would get it, you know? Yeah. Um, this is also, um, you know, not that many years after what happened to Matthew Shepard happened to him, you know? And so um, that has now, you know, over the course of decades since then resonated with me and how I affiliate myself with gay culture and queer culture. I feel really, um, identify really heavily in, um, a generation before mine that literally had to fight for their lives, um, during the height of the AIDS crisis in the eighties and early nineties. And I've devoted a lot of what I do now in my work life lately and volunteer life or whatever, uh, to this cause and, um, you know, um, having friends and, and partners and lovers and, um, who are HIV positive and remember this time is, has been everything. Um, I may choose to not single out role models, but I did, you know, find being queer, you find, um, people who you gravitate toward people who you could learn from. I have learned from many, many people who are much older than me Mm -hmm. who do remember this time. And some of them are my closest friends and lovers today, you you know. Um, And that is the sensibility. That's the sensibility that I move forward in the world as a queer person. I'm not interested in marriage. I'm not interested in um, semantics over word splicing, you know. I, I, You know, when I just believe really strongly in how dire it once was and can be again for, uh, marginalized queer people. Um, and it's really important for us to remember that, um, uh, that time.
1: Yeah. Well, and like you say, um, you tend to gravitate towards people who you feel like if have shared experiences or have kind of walked in your shoes or, uh, you see overlap and, you know, one of the reasons that we're sitting here today is because I read a piece of writing that you did and I found it to be inspirational and I found it to resonate with some of my experiences. So um, Mm -hmm. I appreciate that. I appreciate this conversation. I appreciate the performance that you're going to do. And I think that conversations like this are why we do this project. So you can like fully appreciate the entirety of why you do what you do on a stage. You can watch it and you can take it at face value, but there is like a whole... 27 year life that has gone into that performance so thank you for joining us tonight thank Thank
0: you you so much for having me it's Um, a pleasure
1: yeah and in just a moment Cochina Rood is going to be playing the stage of the Phoenix Theater thanks again Cochina thank you